Hello and welcome again to Finding Truth Matters with Dr. Andrew Corbett. He received the forgiveness of sins. And if you've received it, it is the greatest weight off your shoulders you can possibly experience. What's your idea of prosperity? Big house, late model car, dollars in the bank, annual family holidays and so on. Interestingly, God's idea of prosperity is nearly always different to ours. The people of Israel got a little bit distracted from the main game too. They'd become dull to God's word and expected Jeremiah to speak out good things for them so God would hear and come to the party. It doesn't work like that as we'll discover tonight with Dr. Corbett's message, Call to Me and I Will Show You Great and and hidden things. So we're reading from Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 1. The word of the Lord came to Jeremiah a second time while he was still shut up in the court of the guard. So he's been moved from this prison and he's been placed in the king's palace. Verse 2 Thus says the Lord who made the earth, the Lord who formed it to establish it, the Lord is his name. Now, here's the key verse, verse 3. Call to me and I will answer you and will tell you great and hidden things that you have not known. We have this, this passage where it says the officials came to Jeremiah in the king's guard, in the king's palace. They came to Jeremiah and they said, Jeremiah, we want the word of the Lord. They weren't coming to Jeremiah because they thought he told them what God was about to do. That's a prophet. They were coming to Jeremiah because they had seen Jeremiah predict things. This will happen. And then it happened. And they'd seen that for 20 years. This will happen. They scoff. They laugh. They mock. They call him a fool. Then it happened. They think that Jeremiah is declaring it and then God does it. That's not being a prophet. That's being, I can't think of a better word than the word wizard. They think Jeremiah is a wizard. That everything he says, God must comply with. It's kind of like ringing, I've mentioned this to you before, it's kind of like ringing Southern Cross TV and saying, hey, when What's his name? Does the weather tonight? Do you reckon he could he could make it sunny tomorrow? Because we've got a picnic tomorrow, and I really want him to make the weather sunny. It's stupid, but that's how they were treating. They thought that Jeremiah prophesied, and that he was controlling God. Now, what did they want him to do? (laughs) They wanted him to prophesy. That Babylon would just go away, (laughs) be defeated, go away, leave us alone. Can you imagine 20 years of telling them how they could actually achieve that? Turn back to the Lord. Repent. Amend your ways. Open your heart. Stop being spiritually blind. (laughs) Begin to look to the Lord. Begin not just to say that you're going to follow him, but actually follow him. And all will go well with you. And for 20 years, they call him a fool. They beat him. They mock him. They throw him in prison, publicly humiliate him. Now they're coming saying, please make the Babylonians go away. (laughs) Jeremiah, give us the word of the Lord. Verse 4. 
For thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, concerning the houses of this city and the houses of the kings of Judah that were torn down to make a defense against the siege mounds and against the sword. Oh boy, this is not going well. (laughs) This is not what they wanted Jeremiah to say. But Jeremiah has started this prophecy by saying, The Lord says, Call unto me and I will show you great and hidden things. Call unto me, I'll show you what I'm about to do. You can imagine Jeremiah declaring that, Thus says the Lord, Call unto me and I will show you great and hidden things. God, show me. Verse 4. God shows him. Verse 5. They are coming in to fight against the Chaldeans and to fill them with the dead bodies of men whom I shall strike down in my anger and my wrath. For I've hidden my face from this city because of all their evil. And what evil? I mean, what are you carrying on about evil for? This is a city that was taking young babies, dedicating them to Molech and Ashtar, and then throwing them alive into furnaces, into a furnace actually. The furnace at Tophet. Um, I call that evil. This is a city where the priests were committing adultery with women who came to the temple to worship. I call the abuse of children and the abuse of women evil. Women were being taken advantage of. Children were being abused. It says that nearly all of the leaders were adulterous. These same people were saying, we are God's people. We're in covenant with God. We're God's people. We reflect God. And Jeremiah is seeing them bow down to idols, offer up children to the sun and the moon. Can I tell you that right now? If you've had a bad experience with a church leader who has done evil, I can absolutely guarantee you they've done it because they do not know God. You know God, you don't behave that way. And we need young men who know how to treat young children well. We need men who can treat young boys well. We need young men who know how to treat young women with dignity and respect. This was not happening in Jerusalem. Jeremiah says this city was committing evil after evil after evil. And God was going to deal with them. And in this section, everything in this section up to chapter 38 or so, every time Jeremiah speaks of the judgment of God, he immediately brings in hope. Immediately. And he does exactly the same here. Next verse. Behold, I will bring to it health and healing. And I will heal them and reveal to them abundance of prosperity and security. At this point, I want you to hold that word prosperity. Because God is saying, I'm going to judge this city. I'm going to deal with it. You you claim to represent me and follow me. And you treat children like this. You treat women like this. You treat me like this. You represent me to the world like this. You don't think I have a right to be angry with you. You are utterly deluded. I will withdraw my protection. And when God withdraws his protection, 
Babylon comes in and they will ultimately destroy it. But God says, I will then restore you to prosperity. Now, what, when we use that word today, prosperity, what do you think of? Do you think of people who fly first class? People who live in big houses? People who drive the best Italian sports cars? Is that prosperity? Is that what God is talking about? That Israel would come into such wealth, gold and silver and precious jewels and the context of this chapter reveals he's got something in mind and all of those things that I've just described to you are not what he's got in mind. Because it sounds like God's talking about something, but there are so often times when God is talking about something and people completely don't get it. Remember the woman at the well? And I was thinking all day yesterday about the woman at the well, John chapter 4. There's Jesus waiting at midday open sun, heat of the Middle Eastern sky. There he is waiting at the well. When did people come to fill their water buckets up at the well? It definitely were not in the middle of the day. It's like blistering heat. And there's Jesus sitting there. And not that he wore a watch, but he could have. He didn't need a watch. But he could have gone, here she comes. Never been there before. Here she comes. And this woman comes up and begins to draw water and Jesus strikes up conversation with her and Jesus said, you know, if you'd asked me, I could give you water that you could drink and you would never thirst again. She totally doesn't get it. because We know she doesn't get it because she says, but um, you, you don't have a bucket. Where's your bucket? This well's deep. How are you going to get that water? I, I, I've never found that water. But gee, I'd like some of it because, you know, I have a reputation. <laughs> and that's why I come out here because none of the other women want to hang with me. And I have to come out in the middle of the day when it's the worst obscene heat. And if I could just get some water, I'd never thirst again. Man, I, it could save me bucket loads of humiliation. She doesn't get it. And in that chapter, it's interesting because... A couple of verses later, the disciples turn up with the food and they say to Jesus, come on, you, 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 45 degree heat, middle of the day. Jesus, you need something to eat. He says, uh, no, I don't need anything to eat. To do the will, I, I, I have food. I've been eating. And the disciples go, okay, who, who slipped him a hamburger? Who was it? Who? who we just went out trudging for three hours getting food. Someone had food already? Who gave him food? They don't get it. Chapter before, Jesus says to Nicodemus, you must be born again. Nicodemus, the wisest man in Israel, he's called the teacher of Israel, says, I'm sorry, Jesus, I just have no idea how I could fit back up there. <laughs> That's what he says. How can I come out of my mother's womb again? I mean, I'm a little bit big. Hello. He doesn't get it. She doesn't get it. And they don't get it. Sometimes when God says something, we're hearing on one level and he's speaking on a whole other level. So, if you've kind of tuned into that level, note this, I will restore the fortunes of Judah and the fortunes of Israel and rebuild them as they were at first. 
Hmm. Now, of course, if you know anything about the history of Jerusalem and the history of Israel and Judah, you'll know that we have in our Bible, just a few books before Psalms, the book of Nehemiah, which actually talks about the actual restoration that Jeremiah is talking about, that they were brought back from Babylon and they were reinstituted into their land. And if you've ever read Nehemiah, you'll know how that happened. The very thing Jeremiah said had to happen, confession, repentance, turning to God, forsaking idols, the whole book of Jeremiah talks about kind of that process and they did it and they restored they were restored to god so that happened so there was a greater restoration that that jeremiah had in mind not just the fact that they come back into the land and once again have their houses there's a greater restoration in mind and i want you to begin to hear this as we bring this to a close you may think your life has gone down the toilet You may think your life has just been a disaster, completely off track. Man, everything always goes wrong in my life. And you may go, well, God is my last chance. I've lost my family. I've lost my marriage. I've lost all my possessions. I've lost my job. It's just like, what? I'm rock bottom. And you might think the solution to your predicament is to get all those things back. God might have another idea because that, none of those things are your greatest need. I hear people say, you know, if I have a happy marriage, happy family, if I have you know, a roof over my head, food on the table and a nice job, then I'm pretty happy. That's all I need. None of that you need. <laughs> nice if you got it, but that's not your greatest need. So for God to restore your life to the core of your soul, Hmm. involves something else. It wasn't until the time of Nehemiah that Israel was beginning to understand that they needed to confess their wrongdoing and turn to God as their saviour, the one who will rescue them. It didn't begin to happen until Nehemiah. But there's something far greater in mind in Jeremiah's vision here. Call unto me and I will show you great and hidden things. And we are going to read in this chapter that he refers to the one who is the great and the hidden thing. He's called the righteous one. The righteous one. And we'll see this as we go through this chapter. But not today. But when he comes, when he comes... He will ultimately restore not just a city, as if God really cares about bricks and mortar, as if God cares about dirt. Remember the woman at the well when Jesus says, go and get your husband. She says, "Um, I don't have a husband. Jesus says, you have answered correctly. Because you have been married five times and the one you are now with, you are not married to. Notice her response. Ah, since we're talking about my adultery, where do you think we should worship? What? (laughs) And you notice where she goes with this. 
you know, we say you should worship here on Mount Gerizim, but you Jews say you should worship in Jerusalem. Where should we worship? I've got no idea what on earth the connection is between husbands and mountains. No, no idea at all. But interesting thing is Jesus says something even more interesting back to her because he doesn't answer the where question. He answers the why question, the how question. It's not where you worship God. It's why you worship God. It's how you worship God. Jesus says like this, Woman, I tell you, it's not going to matter on that mountain or this mountain. But what matters is that you worship God in spirit and in truth. In spirit and in truth. In spirit. You must be spiritually born again. Every person born, every person born naturally is born spiritually dead. Every person. And you must come to that place where you cry out to God, I want to live. I want to be spiritually alive. Which means your ears begin to hear differently. Your eyes begin to see differently. Your heart begins to feel differently. You cannot know God and be indifferent to his things. You can't be. It's just not possible. And so, it won't matter on this mountain or that mountain. Oh boy, there are so many people that need to hear that today. It doesn't matter whether Jerusalem is rebuilt. It doesn't matter whether there's a temple in Jerusalem. It doesn't matter. You know what? And this is not a challenge or an invitation, but if something horrible should happen to this building between now and next Sunday, ultimately it doesn't matter. Please don't take that as a challenge. Don't take that as an invitation. Don't, please. But it really doesn't. You know, this isn't the church. You're sitting next to the church. Unless you're on the far outside, then you want the person beside you. We are the church. We don't go to church. We are the church. This is what matters. Now, notice this. When Jesus Christ comes, Jeremiah says, this is what he's going to do. And it's huge. If you, if you yawn at this bit, I'm going to throw something at you. In love. In love. In love. Here it is. I will cleanse them from all their guilt and their sin. Against me. I will forgive all their guilt of their sin and rebellion against me. This is huge. You've got to get this. This stands in absolute marked contrast to every other religion, every cult, Every other religion says you've got to do this in order to get this from God. God says, you are so dead. You are so blind. You are so guilty. There is not a thing you can do to be right before me. Not a thing. I will do it for you. I will do it. We have in our city an old white church building called Chalmers. Anyone ever seen it? It's named after a great Scottish preacher, Thomas Chalmers, considered to be one of the greatest preachers Scotland has ever produced. He was the pastor of a church in a place in Scotland called Kilmany. 
He was there for something like 17 years preaching to that church and was not a Christian. One day, God got a hold of him and opened his eyes to his true need. And Thomas Chalmers, for the first time in his life, tasted Jesus and it transformed him. He became the mightiest voice in Scotland, in this little church in Kilmany, Scotland, because it was said from that day, he entered the spiral staircase. He stood in the pulpit and every time he preached, it was as if his hand reached out to the scruff of everyone's neck in that church and held it. And he offered salvation in his hand from Jesus. And he said, you must take it. Every time he preached, it was as if he was saying, here is the gift. Will you take it? Because that's what transformed his life. He received the forgiveness of sins. And if you've received it, it is the greatest weight off your shoulders you can possibly experience. There is nothing like being guilt-free. Nothing. I don't care what you've done. You are not worse than me. And he saved me. He forgave me. He cleansed me. I'm not standing here as someone in a high spiral staircase wagging a bony finger at you. I'm here as a beggar saying, I found bread. Would you like some, fellow beggars? Would you like some? Would you like to be forgiven of your sin? It's the greatest need you have. And Jeremiah goes on to say, And this city shall be to me a name of joy, a praise and a glory before all the nations of the earth who shall hear of all the good that I do for them. They shall fear and tremble because of all the good and all the prosperity I provide for it. And we do. Every Christmas, Jerusalem. We sing about this city now because of the good that God did in it for us. Oh, come on. We're forgiven of sin if you know Jesus. We sing about Jerusalem now, exactly as Jeremiah said, 600 BC. This is awesome. Now, God used Jeremiah, as I mentioned, to begin the restoration, but it's Jesus Christ who fulfills the restoration. And it's not about cities. It's not about a patch of dirt. It's not about a temple. It's about your life. It's about you. God loves you. He wants to restore you. Your sin, your rebellion against him, not only does you harm, it grieves him, but it does you more harm. You need to be forgiven if your life has gone off track. Jesus Christ is your only hope. He's your only hope. And I said to you before, God wants to prosper your soul. <laughs> what does a prosperous soul look like? I tell you right now, it looks like every need that your soul has, by the way, there's one, being met. You think about it, prosperity is having all your needs met. Can you think of a better definition of prosperity than that? All your needs met. 
And of course, prosperity in God's mind for us, his people who will turn to him, is not only having our greatest need met, but this is where it begins to blow my mind. He not only forgives me of my sin, he's adopted me as a son. If you know Jesus, he's adopted you as a son or a daughter too. That makes you my adopted brother and my adopted sister. We're family here today. But it's not just that. He's made us who is adopted to be joint heirs with Jesus. We get Jesus' platinum credit card in heaven. We're going to have access to everything that's his. This is awesome. Don't tell me that's not prosperity. Oh, and don't you could go, but Andrew, I'm struggling now. I'm struggling now. Well, we'll do what we can to help you. But I've got to tell you, compared to eternity, <laughs> what awaits us is ultimate prosperity. This is awesome. God's idea of prosperity is nearly always different to ours. And God wants you to prosper. He wants you to prosper, to know your sins forgiven, to know what it means to be a child of God, to be loved by him, to, to feel like when no one else loves, no one else cares for you, that there is always one who does. What a gift. What a gift to have that knowledge. What a gift. But here's the tragedy of it. Jeremiah shares this with these people who come to him. They're trying to get him to say, come on, Jeremiah, just prophesy that Babylon will go and they will because we've seen how this works. And he doesn't. And he's, they're talking about Babylon. He's talking about sins forgiven. He's talking about rebellion forgiven. They just are on two different wavelengths. Just totally don't get it. Woman at the well, water, didn't get it. Disciples, food, didn't get it. Nicodemus being born again, didn't get it. But to you, because here's the tragedy of it. Most people don't get it. They don't get it. And if you want to start to get it, it starts with a prayer. And the prayer might simply be, if you're in a place right now where you're going... Andrew, I don't even, I just got no idea what you're on about. I don't even know if there's a God. Then for your tea, where the journey starts, it starts like this God, are you real? If you are, reveal yourself. Call unto me, and I will show you great things. God, are you real? I know dozens and dozens and dozens of people who started their journey with that prayer and are now committed, fully devoted followers of Christ. Dozens and dozens. <laughs> But maybe for you, you know there's a God, that's not your issue, but you don't know him. Or for you, the journey might be marked by, oh God, I want to know you. Perhaps you're here and you feel utterly guilty. There are things you've done, there are people that you've hurt, there are things that have been done to you, and you need to be forgiven. Perhaps for you, your journey starts today with a prayer that says, oh God, please forgive me. I want to be forgiven. And God always answers that prayer. Call to me and I will show you great and hidden things. If your life has gone off track, Jesus is your only hope. If you've become dull to his word, then call on him. More from Dr. Corbett next week with the message, Shepherds shall rest their flocks. Podcasts and Finding Truth Matters resources, including tonight's program, Call to Me, are available via the website findingtruthmatters.org or by contacting us at Lagana Media, PO Box 1143, Lagana, Tasmania 7277. For regular updates and special offers, visit our Facebook page, facebook.com slash findingtruthmatters. 
Dr. Corbett is pastor of the Lagana Christian Church and president of ICI Theological College Australia. We look forward to joining you again at the same time next week for another Finding Truth Matters.